When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I have mixed feelings about direct democracy. We elect governors, representatives, and senators for a reason to pass laws. And if we don't like what they're doing, we can pick somebody else to do the job. But sometimes, Richard, people want direct action on a single topic, whether that's something like changing sentencing laws or extending health care coverage or abortion rights or banning attempts to restrict the death penalty. Ballot initiatives, referendums or referenda and propositions. Jenna Spinelli. And so you have to find a way to appeal to that shared humanity, those common values that we as Americans share. And I, I think in our our polarized political landscape, it's easy to lose sight of, of those values when everybody is put into Team Red and, and Team Blue. And this is one, albeit small way, but still a way to uh, think about politics in a different way. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix it? it? How do we fix it? Richard, I think for both of us, one of our favorite episodes in the last few years of How Do We Fix It was with a young woman named Katie Fahey, who organized a successful ballot initiative to change the state constitution in Michigan. And the measure was aimed at ending gerrymandering. It was a remarkable uphill battle. Her Voters Not Politicians campaign actually started with a Facebook post. Uh, You can hear more about this in episode 268 of our show. Boy, we've done a lot of episodes, haven't we? Today, we begin our episode on ballot initiatives with the story of another remarkable person, Desmond Mead. He's the voting rights activist who led a winning ballot initiative to change Florida's constitution to give people like him with past felony convictions the right to cast a ballot. Me being a returning citizen and not being able to vote and, and, and not having my civil rights restored, there was a level of pain that I had that others didn't. And because of that intimacy with the pain, then there's a level of commitment to end the pain that have the potential of being unmatched as well. His story is featured in a recent podcast series written, produced, and hosted by Jenna Spinelli. We're going to speak with Jenna about the pluses and minuses of ballot initiatives in this show. Her podcast is called When the People Decide. 
The ballot initiative won overwhelming support from voters and resulted in America's largest expansion of voting rights since the civil rights era. More than 1.4 million Floridians who had served time regained the right to vote. And isn't that interesting? We think of Florida these days as being a pretty conservative place, but presented with a single issue based on a story of of human rights, you found a consensus there that I think a lot of people might not have expected. Today, Desmond Mead is famous, a celebrated figure in the democracy reform movement. He's executive director of the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition. But in his speech to the McCourtney Institute for Democracy last year, he talked about a very different time in his life when he was homeless and full of despair. In August of 2005, I was standing in front of railroad tracks, waiting on a train to come so I can jump in front of it. Uh, That day, I I, I stood there. I was a very broken man. I was homeless. I was addicted to crack cocaine. I was unemployed. I was recently released from prison. And the only thing I owned were the clothes that was on my back. When I stood there and I waited and I waited. But God had other plans and that train didn't come. And I ended up crossing those tracks and I... I checked myself into a drug treatment facility. After four months of in-house treatment, I was able to successfully complete that and I moved into a homeless shelter. While at the homeless shelter, I enrolled in a local community college and was able to do real well to eventually get accepted into law school and in May of 2014, graduating with a law degree. Within a few years, Desmond Mead became a leading voice of the campaign to restore the rights of formerly incarcerated citizens and let them vote. After years of resistance by the governor and the state legislature, the coalition decided to launch a campaign to bring the issue directly to the voters. As with Katie Fahey and the reform effort in Michigan, the ballot initiative in Florida took a huge amount of organizing and faced a series of setbacks. Even now, the state legislature has imposed limits on former felons' voting rights. So let's bring in Jenna Spinelli, who has the whole story of this and other ballot measures in her podcast. So Jenna joins us from the campus of Penn State University in State College, Pennsylvania, where she teaches and works for the McCourtney Institute. Jenna, welcome to How Do We Fix It? Thank you. Glad to be here. So we wanted to give listeners the personal side of ballot initiatives before we discuss the issue, the pros and cons. And as we've seen with both Desmond Mead and earlier with Katie Fahey, ballot measures can involve a lot of struggle. And it's it's a difficult thing to be involved with, right? Yes. You know, it is not the, the quickest or easiest way to pass uh, legislation or to, to enact policy change. But it is a very powerful tool that citizens have, particularly in situations when there is broad public support for a policy or change to an existing law or policy. But there is, for some reason, legislative disincentive to act. And that comes up over and over again in Katie Fahey's case with the redistricting ballot measure that she led in Desmond Mead's case with his campaign to expand voting rights in Florida. Uh, we, we've seen this in ballot measures on ranked choice voting and opening up primaries. It's in the people's hands to to take these forward using the ballot initiative as their tool to do so. 
Is part of that problem because some initiatives to improve democracy or the democratic process, they're not necessarily in the interests of lawmakers who are comfortable and well ensconced in their positions. That's right. Yeah, I heard that over and over again uh, in my reporting for the series. And we're also seeing evidence of that in efforts by some state legislatures to restrict the initiative process itself, to make it harder for citizens to collect signatures or changing the, the threshold of the majority that's needed for these initiatives to pass. It is evidence of a, a continuation of exactly what you are talking about, Jim, that Elected officials don't always like it when people try to usurp their power and they're using the tools at their disposal to to try to change that. Jenna, give us a little history. Uh, how did ballot initiatives in America begin and uh, where do they get their start? How many states have them now? Those kinds of yeah. things. Yeah, so uh, you could lump ballot initiatives in with a, a set of reforms that came about during the progressive era in, in, in the U.S. So the late uh, 1800s turn of the 20th century is really when they got their start. And it, it coincided with a period of westward expansion in the U.S. The bottom line is that, that about half of the states in the country give people the ability to vote directly in some way on policy issues rather than going through legislatures or, or courts. And so many of those states are, are west of the Mississippi um, because as new states were joining the union and drafting their constitution, they added this ballot measure provision as, as part of the constitution. And speaking of Western states, I think when most of us think about ballot initiatives, the first state that comes to mind is California with two of the most famous ballot initiatives, both of which represented kind of conservative consensus, consensus, consensuses. <laughs> One was Proposition 13, which placed limits on property taxes. And then there was the three strikes law in the mid 1990s after the kidnapping and murder of the 12 year old Polly class. In the past two months, the search for one 12-year-old girl in one small town has come to represent a whole nation's fears about random crime. News coverage of that horrible murder in 1993 was intense. Less than a year after the killing, California's Three Strikes Proposition, or ballot initiative, was passed by a large majority. It said that if anyone commits three felonies over any amount of time and two or more are serious or violent felonies, that person has to serve a minimum of 25 years to life. Manuel Pastor is a sociology professor at USC and director of the Equity Research Institute. So if you want to understand propositions and what damage they can do to a state, and then also what promise they hold, California is the place to be. Jenna spoke with Manuel Pastor, a sociology professor at USC and director of the Equity Research Institute. California is America fast forward in terms of its demography, in terms of its widening inequality, in terms of its political polarization, in terms also of its use of propositions, and perhaps in terms of progressives, beginning to learn how to use the propositions themselves. 
you know, California is is a large state and a, a diverse state. So its legislature and, and governorship, especially in, in recent years and decades, has been dominated by by Democrats and has gone taking this like more leftward turn. It's not surprising that, you know, uh, conservative leaning folks or folks who are out of political power otherwise might try to use this tool to affect policy change. Um, I think more recently we we've seen that with the the gig economy ballot measure in in 2020, which uh, took up this this question of of whether or not uh, you know folks like Uber drivers and Instant Cart delivery folks should be considered as as employees or or independent contractors. And thanks to a lot of spending by some of those companies, it, it ended up going in their favor, and those workers uh, remain independent contractors. Yeah, you mentioned um, Uber and uh, Lyft and other companies in the gig economy, unlike the case of Desmond Mead or Katie Fahey, where these were ground-up citizen-led ballot initiatives, uh, there are powerful interest groups that also get involved as well for various reasons, right? Yes. Uh, the the mechanism itself does not discriminate as to who can be involved. We have this image of kind of a pure, you know, democracy where everybody comes informed and votes their their conscience. But there are a lot of players involved in this. And wouldn't some people see that as a potential argument against ballot initiatives? Perhaps we need a more sober, slower uh, process where lawmakers have more time to weigh the pros and cons of an issue. That, that's an, a frequent argument against ballot initiatives, is it not? Yes, yes, it is. Uh, and for folks who want to learn more about those arguments, uh, I would recommend the book Initiatives Without Engagement um, by the political scientists Joshua Dick and Ted Lasher. No political mechanism is is pure or perfect. Everything sort of has its its pros and cons. And I, I absolutely think that there are issues that are maybe not even appropriate for for ballot measures at all. And people working in the space hold those views as well. I don't think anybody sees it as, as a one-size-fits-all solution. An example of this from the series, the the legislature in Nebraska, the, the fifth episode of the series, um, it's called A Matter of Life and Death. The Nebraska legislature voted to overturn or, or abolish the death penalty in, in 2015. And then in 2016, uh, there was a referendum in this case led by Governor Pete Ricketts, which put the death penalty back in place thanks to a, a popular vote. So the experts I talked to there said that, you know, issues of, of criminal justice in particular are ones where there are so many considerations and it's it's you, you can't really t fully take everyone's rights into account, especially when you're, you're talking about incarcerated folks. And so that issue and, and, and others are perhaps you know, best left to more deliberative legislative practices where there is more opportunity for nuance and those kind of things. Nevertheless, you're overall a fan of I am. Uh, ballot initiatives. In, in one episode, you talk about your FOMO, uh, mm -hmm. your, your fear of missing out, uh, because you live in Pennsylvania where they don't have ballot initiatives. So make the case for them. I do think that it is a, a, a wonderful tool that that people or or groups can use when they don't have any other options, when there is public support for an issue or it's something that people widely agree 
should happen or should be prevented from happening, perhaps in some cases. The legislature won't take action. It's not feasible to go through the courts or through the executive. And they also build new coalitions, I think, in the process. Desmond Mead certainly talks about this, as does does Katie Fahey, as does Luke Mayville, who um, led the, the campaign for Medicaid expansion in Idaho. So you, by default, need to build large coalitions to get the majorities needed to pass these initiatives and to get the signatures to get them on the ballot. And you have to find some way, at least on this one issue, to, to bring people together. And so I, I like them for that aspect as well. This is How Do We Fix It? And we're talking to Jenna Spinelli of the McCourtney Institute. And I'm Jim Meggs. And I'm Richard Davies. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Now back to our interview with Jenna Spinelli about her podcast, When the People Decide. We talk a lot about transcending political differences on how do we fix it. And the partisan divide in this country is so deep right now that perhaps it's a time when ballot initiatives make sense to a lot of people precisely because they don't trust the process. They don't trust the other side. And yet when people get together, as Katie Fahey found, in Michigan, when they get together and discuss an issue, they often find they do have more in common. And that's how sometimes these initiatives get passed, even though maybe precisely because they're not tied to one party or the other. Does that logic make sense? Yes, yes. And and there's also the 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 heavy in-person component of this. You have to collect signatures in person. There's often a lot of canvassing and door knocking in the weeks and months leading up to the election. And for your podcast, you spoke with John Matsusaka of the Initiative and Referendum Institute. He's the author of the book, Let the People Rule. Matsuzaka says America is an outlier when it comes to nationwide ballot initiatives. Unlike the UK, Australia, and many other countries, we don't have them. When people say they're frustrated about American democracy, a lot of it is focused on the federal government. People are much happier with their state governments and their local governments. And there's a lot of direct participation in decisions at at those levels. It's the federal government where people feel they have no control. Matsuzaka feels that the ballot initiative could be a way to update our institutions to better reflect today's realities and and make them more democratic. We, we are completely out of step with the way democracy is done in, in, in the world. 
That's John Matsuzaka. Talk more about his argument that uh, we have statewide referendums and uh, and propositions and ballot initiatives, but we don't have them on a federal level. Yeah, I mean, so he looks at things like the the Brexit decision in in the UK, uh, which maybe, albeit not not the best example of of, of referenda on a national scale, but that is still one. Uh, and, and you know, I think he he fundamentally feels that we as a country have to trust ourselves, right? We have to trust that the majority of people have the interest and the ability to make good decisions and to, you know, follow the will of what the majority of people want. I know that that enthusiasm that John shares about trusting the will of the, the majority is the skepticism that some of our founders had. And maybe one of the reasons we don't have national referenda uh, like other democracies do. But I, I do think it would be an interesting experiment. Um, one issue that you know came to my mind is, as I was talking with John is this, is this question of whether we should still have daylight savings time or not it would be a, a very interesting testing ground thought experiment to see what people really think about that. You know, there are some ways that we could dip our toe in the water, I guess, is is what I'm getting at there. You mentioned Brexit. I'm actually somewhat sympathetic to some of the concerns that led people to vote for Brexit. But I also agree with you that it's an example of that kind of big lurching change or perhaps an mm -hmm. oversimplified uh, response to a problem. And I think we see that with a lot of ballot initiatives, like a three strikes law. It sounds, mm -hmm. if you're mad about crime, it sounds good, you know, but some, maybe the ballot initiative is, it has this tendency to lead to that kind of overreaction. How do we draw the line? How do we say, okay, we're going to have ballot initiatives, but only sensible ones. How do we do that? Some of it comes at the the voter uh, education level. Um, there's work being done. Actually, one of my colleagues at Penn State, John Gastel, um, is involved in a, a project called the Citizens Initiative Review, uh, which brings uh, people together to deliberate about ballot measure language. They hear, you know, arguments from from experts on you know multiple perspectives on the issue, and and hopefully craft something that maybe you know is still voted on you know, directly by the people, but maybe does have a little bit more of that nuance or does, you know, have some have some more deliberate consideration behind it. Now, that is one small program. It's happened in Oregon and California and, and, and a few other states um, also happens in, in Ireland and, and some other countries in Europe. Um, there are also groups like the Ballot Initiative Strategy Center, which can offer guidance. These people have run these campaigns before um, and, and can help you know, navigate some of those, those complexities. Jenna, that's a very how do we fix it answer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had that, that, that thought. <laughs> before we go, uh, we should say that, that Jenna is very much involved with and one of the prime organizers of the podcast network that we're part of, uh, the Democracy Group. So, uh, Jenna, tell us uh, what's happening with that. Sure. Uh, so heading into the election season, the, the, the midterms, I'm excited about the opportunity that 
our network of 16 podcasts has to go beyond the the horse race of the the different campaigns and and elections and talk about what's at stake in in the midterms. Um, the shows in our network will be covering that from a, a variety of angles and we'll be putting it out as a special podcast series uh, in addition to each individual show sharing the episode uh, that they do on on their feeds. Um, so I'm excited about that. Um, we are also working on a podcast fellowship program, which will give high school and college students a chance to get their voices out there in the podcast world uh, under the guidance of all of our hosts and producers, including Richard, uh, who has contributed several lessons uh, on interviewing and, and solutions journalism. So I, I can't wait to start working with students as well. Jenna Spinelli, thanks very much. Thank you both. Jenna Spinelli, a little conversation coming up. But first, the recommendation. Jim, I was going to do a recommendation for this show. I have so many things to recommend, but you came to me and said you have one that's actually relevant to what we've been talking about. So serve it up. My recommendation is a new book called Junk Science and the Criminal Justice System. It's by M. Chris Fabricant, who is one of the leading lawyers for the Innocence Project. I think most of our listeners know that the Innocence Project is this great organization that for more than a couple of decades now has been working to free unjustly convicted prisoners, especially those on death row. And these overturning these convictions often involves using DNA evidence. But what this book focuses on is how so much of the forensics we see, you know, everybody's watched CSI and all these shows where somebody analyzes the blood splatter pattern or the prints from somebody's sneakers or, you know, all kinds of different uh, so-called forensic evidence. But what this book shows is that a lot of that evidence is really just somebody's hunch. And for, for decades now, really going back to the 70s, Forensic experts have been allowed into courtrooms, given enormous amount of credibility by judges and, and of course, by juries who half the time didn't really know what they were talking about or they exaggerated the degree of certainty. So this book's a really important corrective to some, uh, something I think has gotten very out of whack in our criminal justice system. So, Jim, should we get him on the show? Yeah, I think we should. I've been meaning to call him. <laughs> So the recommendation is Junk Science and the Criminal Justice System by M. Chris Fabricant. And next, a few quick thoughts to, to wrap up our episode. I said right at the top of the show that I was pretty skeptical about efforts to extend uh, direct democracy. But listening to Jenna, I, I like her enthusiasm for this and, and also certainly admire people who are involved in the process because it is a tremendous amount of work. That's the inspiring side of the direct democracy movement. I think we're at a place in our history where we need to be open to different approaches. But as always, when you're messing around with our democratic processes in our system of government. Be careful. Look, let different states try different things. See what works. Use that great ex that experimental system of democracy we have in this country at the state level to sort out what works and what doesn't. And, and, I, I, and I think we should be a little cautious about going whole hog uh, down any particular path. 
And what we're seeing now is that with the ballot initiatives, that they seem to be coming at least as much from the left as they do from the right. And that certainly wasn't the case 30 or 40 years ago. Well, that's probably a sign that we're kind of on the right track. We've got both sides interested in this this mechanism. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And this podcast is a project of Davies Content. We make podcasts for companies and nonprofits. Our website is daviescontent.com. As always, thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.